Welcome to KJV Cafe, where the truths of God's Word come alive. Grab a hot cup of coffee or tea and spend some time learning about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen now to Pastor Clark Covington of Heartland Community Baptist Church as he explores great insights from the Word of God. Amen. Glory to God. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the cafe. Pastor Clark Covington here with another episode of KJV Cafe. I'm so thankful for you joining me here today. Today we are in the fifth part of a five-part series on what we should do in the new year, what the Lord would have us to do in this new year. So it's the end times and it's a new year. How do we reconcile that? And I'm going to recap a little bit and then I'll get to our main focus, which for today uh, is the idea of the Lord is coming quickly. And so we need to keep that idea of him coming quickly in mind and in focus as we live out our lives here on earth. New Year's people make resolutions, oftentimes to get fit, eat healthy, etc. But the Bible tells us that what's really profitable is godliness. 1 Timothy 4.8 For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. See the contrast? Bodily exercise versus godliness. The idea of exercising as a as an act, as a, as a quality, as something that we do, right? And so if you think of bodily exercising, prof, profiting just a little, then the idea that godliness isn't something that you just obtain. Okay, you read the Bible one time all the way through, now you're godly. No, godliness is something that you put into practice. And if you think of exercise as something that I think of it as, it's a chore, it's hard, it's, it takes discipline, People that exercise, uh, you know, like cycling some years ago, I got into cycling a little bit and, you know, I waited for a bike to go on sale. I got a great deal on a bike. Uh, it, it was, uh, I thought I was pretty cool. Single gear uh, bike. Cause I was like, I need to pedal hard. I don't want to change these gears. Cause I guess the single gear bike, the kind of knock on it is if you're going up a hill, it could get hard. I'm like, man, I need that in my life. But you research cyclists and they, they'll have little areas in their house where they hook up their bikes to machines and so forth so they can ride them inside. They call them pain caves and stuff like this and, you know, torture chambers. And they're admitting that the exercise takes discipline and is hard. And yet when it comes to godliness, we kind of want it to fall in our lap. Amen. We kind of want to say, hey, we're godly. We go to church on Sunday. Well, that doesn't doesn't mean that we're godly. There are many people that go to church on Sunday that are not saved. I believe this. Amen. Uh, there are many people that thought they were godly in Bible times that, that knew the law. Amen. And they were not saved and that Christ called them the children of the devil of the father of lies. Amen. So we have to realize that godliness takes work and exercise and discipline. And how do we do that? We forsake the things of this world. We trust the Lord. Jesus is coming quickly. The operative focus here on trusting God is having faith and having faith that Jesus really meant this in Revelation 3, 11, as he writes to the church of Philadelphia, behold, I come quickly, hold that fast, which thou hast that no man take thy crown and Revelation 3, 7 through 13. I've been reading it all week long. Uh, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Jesus here is speaking to the church of Philadelphia. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door 
and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. See, verse 8 telling us the church of Philadelphia wasn't strong. They were weak, but they kept his word and didn't deny him. Isn't that interesting for today's day and age? Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and in the name of my city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, capital S, saith unto the churches. And so we understand the Church of Philadelphia is one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the only one that was not rebuked by Jesus, a church there in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, a church that had dealt with persecution because they believed in Jesus. As he explains here, this, this scripture really preaches itself. It describes itself. It says they didn't deny him. They were of little strength. They kept his word. They didn't deny his name. And you got to think the implication here is because they didn't deny him, they were persecuted. And that if they had denied him, they would have enjoyed many pleasantries of this world, you know? And so they didn't deny him, right? And the synagogue of Satan, those that said they were Jews and are not, they kicked them out. They persecuted them. And Jesus is saying poetically that when he returns, they, that synagogue of Satan, those Jews, those lost people that persecuted the true church will bow down at the true church's feet to acknowledge that Jesus loves the true church, the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, amen. And how did they do this? They kept the word of, of patience. Uh, they, they, were, they were in fidelity with the Lord. They were yoked up with Jesus in the right way, and they suffered for it. And in previous episodes, I mentioned the suffering was deeper than just not being able to say, go to where everybody went to church, so to speak, at that time. It was deeper than that because they were probably looked upon as threats to the government by the Romans. Kind of think of the China, a church in China today could be shut down because they're looked at as a threat, a power threat, right? That's why China doesn't like them, because China wants full communist power. They don't want the church involved, right? So they're looked at as a threat by the Romans who are ruling and reigning. They were looked at as betrayers or as false teachers or prophets by the Jews that did not believe in Jesus Christ, the unbelieving Jews. And so they were out on their own. They didn't have the they didn't have the community events. They didn't have maybe the work or the school, the relationships, all those things that were happening in the synagogue. They were cast away from them. And Jesus is saying poetically that this group will bow down at their feet to acknowledge that Jesus loved them. The implication being that they believed Jesus would have condemned them and Jesus is going to set them right. The fundamental church, how much of this relates to the fundamental church? 
the one that has followed God's word, the one that believes that God's word's inherent, the one that will not compromise on sin, the one that preaches sin day in and day out, the one that preaches a real heaven and a real hell, the one that preaches the substitutionary death, the atonement, only being bought by the blood of Christ are we saved, the one that calls out the false prophet and false teacher, the one that lives uh, apart and separate from the world. How much so will Jesus Christ reward us in heaven? And we've mentioned here in previous episodes that Jesus gives them a warning to hold fast that no one take their crown. The crown was not a king's crown, but it was a wreath, like an Olympic medal of the time. It was an emblem of victory, festivity, and joy. It was a symbol of a race accomplished. And this was all related to the Ithaman Games, which at that time was like the Olympic Games, and how Jesus didn't want them to be disqualified from the race, to give up because they were chasing after that eternal crown that would be given to them. And Jesus is giving them promises. I counted seven promises in uh, Revelation 3 to the Church of Philadelphia. They're going to be made pillars. And that beautiful contrast of being kicked out and cast away and cast aside in this earth and being pillars there in heaven for an eternity. Literally never having to leave, but being being pillars there. I mean, just you think of a pillar of a community, someone that's always there. You think of a pillar... In the temple, you think of the structural holding up the temple. You think of the pillar used as art and as, as a statue and as recognition. And Christ is saying, you're going to have that reward. You're going to be in the temple. You're going to be part of my great heaven. It's go, you're going to be rewarded and you're going to be, people are going to bow down at your feet to acknowledge that I love you, that Jesus loves you. You know, and the fundamental church has the same promises, I believe, as the Church of Philadelphia. Not every fundamental church, not the church that's got the secret sin and the carnal things going on and blah, blah, blah. Not the church that's abusing and stealing and so forth. But those that have truly lived as God has called them to live, those that have not compromised on his word, no matter what it meant, that, you know what, if they couldn't afford the building, they met in someone's house, amen, that church will be memorialized in heaven. I believe it. And Jesus here, as we get to the end of the letter uh, uh, to the church of Philadelphia, we start looking at this idea of imminence, that he was coming soon. And he starts it here in uh, Revelation 3.11, behold, I come quickly. So it's not, Jesus is not saying, hey, don't let anyone take your crown. And if I haven't been clear about how someone could take their crown, it's not that they would lose their salvation. They would lose their reward by giving in to temptation and not that they're going to give in to some kind of global temptation like the tribulation period, but just the everyday temptation that, that faces them to compromise. And they had incentive to compromise. You know, if we wanted to grow our church, which is very, very small, if we wanted to grow our church, in my mind, you'd have to compromise. I'm not willing to do that. Amen. But if I were willing to do that, I'm sure there's a playbook out there of some church that's full of people that knows how to get them there and how to keep them there. And it's entertaining and it's funny and it's all about tickling ears and perverting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can tickle someone's ear. But if you're tickling their ear and you're busy entertaining them and you're not telling them that they have a sin debt that Christ has paid and that they need to get right with God and accept Christ as Savior for their sin debt to be saved. And if not, they're going to a real and literal hell. And that sin is something a holy God cannot be part of and they need to be reconciled to God. If you are uh, not preaching that, then it doesn't matter what you're doing, right? You're not winning the lost. You're not edifying the saints. You're leading the, the flock astray. And then at the same time, 
you're you're kind of maybe fleecing the flock from all the riches that are coming your way because people are saying, hey, give give those ministers money because they're entertaining me. I'm having a good time. I'm loving this. The Lord is coming quickly. So we should not fall into this temptation. The Lord is coming quickly. So think about that. Think about that. If the Lord is coming quickly, he's saying just hang in there because soon I'll be here and I'll put an end to all that you've had to endure. Because oftentimes we're weak, as Christ points out the church of Philadelphia was, we're weak and that weakness sometimes gets us to reflect back on our vulnerabilities and our hardships and that can lead to this compromise or giving into temptation. Because we can say, well, what's the point? Why even try? You know, you've heard it before. You've seen it in the ministry. Anyone that's been in the ministry in any time of season, they've seen that, whether it's from internally within uh, discouragement or they've seen it among brothers and sisters that have they've gotten to their boiling breaking point, their boiling point, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and they're going through the saying, God help me, amen. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming quickly to end all you've had to endure, the trials, the hardships, the, the temptations. So therefore, we're very blessed to know this because once we understand that he's coming quickly, then we can kind of exhale and say, okay, God, you've got this. I have faith in you. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to handle my business here because you're coming quickly and it's all going to be over soon. So let me clean up the temple that is my life and make sure things are going as best they can here. Let me show others in the church, uh, show love to them and to serve them. Let me throw the pettiness out the door. Understand uh, that keeping the faith, running the race is what you want me to do. And then I just have to put one foot in front of the other or take one day at a time. You see how much easier it becomes, how much that burden subsides when we just trust God and we just trust his word and his promises in his word about a very real promise to a very real church that we can then take a hold of that, look, the time is at hand. The last days are at hand. There, we don't need any more signs or wonders. We've seen everything happen under the sun. Everything that has to happen has happened, amen, for the rapture to occur at any moment. We believe it's imminent. I believe it's imminent. I believe it's imminent. Uh, you could ask my family. I believe it's around the bend, around the corner. Uh, we, like if you were in a tunnel, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Amen. That's how close we are. So we need to have faith. We need to trust the Lord. We need to turn to him. We need to take his word at at uh, face value and trust him that he's coming soon and that we should hold fast to our crown that no one takes our reward. I thank you so much for listening today. Take care. God bless. Amen. Thanks for visiting the cafe today. Our goal is to inspire you with the truth and depth of God's Word in a straightforward manner. Do you know Jesus? You can today. Visit kjvcafe.com to learn more about God's great plan of salvation for all of mankind. Until next time, remember, as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 puts it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness.